this is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business, supply chains and globalization and the effects these developments have had on our life, our work and our travel over recent times. Today on Interlinks we'll be talking to Neil Shanahan. Neil is a Dubliner who has been living and working in Spain since 1989. Firstly, in the cities of Oviedo and Gijón in Asturias in northern Spain, and then later since around the turn of the century in Barcelona. So in Barcelona, Neil owns and operates a personal training studio and sports massage room in a suburban neighborhood and work, works with clients of all ages and from all walks of life, a position that gives them great insight into people's thoughts and concerns about their health, their fitness, as well as what they think about what's going on in the wider world. So delighted to have you with us today, Neil. You're very welcome. Hello, Patrick. Good to be here. Uh, so I mentioned, Neil, that you were in uh, Asturias from the from the late 80s. Were you actually there in Gijón at the time that our own Kevin Moran uh, played for the local Spanish first division team, as it was then, Sporting Gijón? Yes, uh, I was. I was in Oviedo at the time, and I met him a few years later in Barcelona um, by chance. And we had a, a, an opportunity to talk about, about that because he he was he, maybe he's a bit forgotten now i'd say in sporting because that was a long time ago but he was a bit of a legend at the time he caused a good impression and because he was irish people tended to like him so yeah i got i got to meet him here with um i was working for real uh so real espanol the, the spanish uh, first division team in barcelona uh as a translator for uh, an irish player who was over here didn't speak any english so they hired me and Kevin Moran was his manager, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. So I got to meet. I got oh, to meet like him. like like his agent as such. Is that what you... Agent, I beg yeah. your pardon. Yeah, that would be yeah. the agent. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, Interesting thing about Kevin as well is uh, Kevin was uh, played Gaelic football for Dublin as well. Um, oh. So he was both a Gaelic footballer and uh, and a soccer player. And uh, he was he was a hard man. And I, I remember in 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 Gijón at that time. He was very popular around the town. He had a great, he had a great reputation because he, he took no prisoners. Yeah, I remember like for, for years, uh, when I whenever I told anyone that I was Irish, or anyone asked me where was I from, and I'd say Ireland. And they say, Oh, Kevin Moran, oh hombre. <laughs> so you always got the Kevin Moran reference. So I thought, okay, that's fair enough. Me yeah, and Kevin yeah. Moran. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, now now you're in um, uh, Barcelona. Could you, could you just give me then kind of an overview of your your, your career to date and, and how you came to be running a personal fitness and massage business in Barcelona? Yeah. Um, so I've kind of had different careers along the way, I suppose. Um, I mean, I came to Spain young. I was 19 when I arrived uh, in Spain and I taught English for a number of years in Oviedo. I suppose that you said that was my first career as an English teacher. Um, then I, I moved into translating and interpreting as I acquired better Spanish. So I did that for a few years as well. Um, then when I came here to Barcelona, which was 2002, um, I worked as a lifeguard. Uh, which was kind of my second career. I'd already begun that in Asturias, working on the beaches in the summer and swimming clubs during the year. Um, I worked as a lifeguard here. And then I gradually got into uh, fitness instruction, uh, personal training. I got certified as a personal trainer here in Barcelona. Um, then a few years later, certified as a massage therapist. 
So I moved into that field, which isn't isn't a major change because from swimming pools to gyms, you know, it's it's kind of the same atmosphere, but um, definitely more enjoyable, more interesting for me uh, being a personal trainer than being a lifeguard. Um, so I've been doing this for basically the last fifteen years, and I opened my own business uh, three years ago, just before, just yeah, three years ago, almost to the day, just before COVID. Um, it's a small center. I work on my own. It's all it's one to one with my with my clients. Um, I I work alone, which is what I like. I control all the aspects of of my business of what I do, and it gives me a lot of freedom, which is really what I wanted. I didn't want to be working for any for a business. I really I was tired of having bosses. I was tired of living, you know, working within a. Um, a business structure which wasn't my own, I suppose, which I didn't control. Um, and, and yeah, I decided to go out on my own, and that's that's what I've been doing now for for a number of years. So, so I'm happy been, doing that. So you've been in Spain now for 33 years, I think it is, since 19, 1989. Um, yeah. what, what, what would you say are the main kind of cultural differences and similarities between Spain and Ireland? And what made you stay all that time and make your life there? Yeah, uh, I often get asked this kind of question. Um, I'd say there's a lot, quite a lot of similarities between Asturias, where where you and I both used to live, um, and, and Ireland. Uh, the climate is quite similar. It's 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 an Atlantic climate, quite wet and cold and rainy, and not particularly hot in the summer. Um, and the people have a, a, just a Celtic background to the to the, to the culture. Um, I always found myself very much at home in Asturias. The, the Asturians would have a, a great sense of humor. They were always taking the mickey out of each other, uh, kind of Irish in many ways. And, and then just so beautiful, you know, such a beautiful place to, to, to live in and great food, gorgeous women, all sorts of, uh, you know, pluses. Um, then the rest of Spain, I, I don't know. It's hard to, what, comparisons with Ireland, I, certainly, I always I always felt very much at home in Spain and very welcomed in Spain. Uh, I mean, you've travelled around the whole world and a lot more than me, but nobody dislikes the Irish. That's the simple fact. Maybe in England there used to be a bit of you know a bit of antipathy, but basically, if you say you're Irish, um, and particularly in Spain, although it's a bit of a cliche, people think, oh, you're Irish, you're kind of anti-English. That that's cool because. Spain has kind of traditionally historically been anti-English. So some of these cliches that work in work in your favor if you're Irish. Um, but I always felt very much at home, like from like from the from day one. And maybe that would have happened if I'd been in France. I don't know. I mean, I was 19. You kind of fit in easily at that age, you'll adapt to anything at that age. So it was probably partly my own personality. And, and but Spain is a very welcoming country. And it's a country where I, I mean, I've met loads of people in Spain who came for a week and, well, a month uh, to spend a year or something. And then, you know, 20, 30 years later, they're still here yeah. Um, yeah. of their own volition. Yeah. So now so now you're in uh, Barcelona, which is the capital of uh, Catalonia. And you 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 arrived in Barcelona, I guess, from Asturias speaking Castilian or what? foreigners know as you know regular regular spanish and as we know the use of the catalan language in catalonia has increased over the decades since the end of the franco dictatorship so did you actually need to learn catalan as well in order to live and work optimally in in barcelona um 
the answer to that is no. Uh, in Barcelona, you don't really need Catalan. Uh, it's, it's kind of hard to get your head around. It took me a while to get my head around how the two languages worked um, in, 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 in Catalonia and in Barcelona. But the thing you have to remember is that they're very similar languages. They're very close. If you speak Spanish, you can grasp quite a bit of Catalan. Um, all the Catalans are bilingual. They all speak Spanish perfectly. Uh, and people will often you know, hop back and forth from one language to another. Or you might have a group of people sitting around the table and talking together. And with some people will be talking in Spanish and others will be talking in Catalan. So it's not a situation like, say, the Basque country, where the Basque language is entirely different from Spanish, and you either speak one or the other, but you know, there's no overlap whatsoever. There's no coincidence. Um, so I actually I did a, I did a course in Catalan um, when I arrived here first, like the first year I was here, to get a basic understanding of it and a bit of the grammar, which is kind of tricky. Uh, and then you just pick it up as you go along. Really, if you know, but you're you're listening to it, you're hearing it a lot. People speak it all the time. I have to say, though, that people, when they realize you're a foreigner, they will they will usually speak to you in Spanish because they understand that you're unlikely to speak Catalan. Um, so it's never been a problem for me uh, needing the language. I, I can speak Catalan. To be honest, I rarely do. Um, oftentimes, I'll hold a conversation with someone who may be speaking to me in Catalan, and I'll reply in Spanish or sometimes reply in Catalan. So it's kind of flexible like that. It's it's a bit odd though because you'll have like situations where in a, in a, within a family, maybe the parents speak together in Spanish, or the mother, but then with the kids they speak in Catalan, or the children with the mother speak in Catalan, but with the father they speak in Spanish. Yeah. So it's it's quite an odd an odd uh, linguistic uh, mix, but interesting and and. I'm, I mean, I'm glad to to have learned the language, even though, to be honest, like I'm far more comfortable in Spanish. Yeah. And now as a as a personal trainer, what kind of services do you provide to your to your clients? Um, so I do one to one personal training. I don't do groups. It's always with a single person. Um, I have clients of all ages. So my youngest client now is a 15 year old uh, youngfella. And my eldest, my oldest client is 86, an 86-year-old lady. So I have clients of all ages. Um, I do strength conditioning, really, is the, is the basis of what I do. Um, so I do pretty much standard gym exercises to strengthen legs, arms, back, abs, also combined with stretching, combined with agility exercises, particularly for older people. So balance exercises, reflexes, things like that. Um, it also depends a little bit on what the person is, is looking for. So I have some, some clients who are, run marathons or long distance runners. I have some cyclists. I have some uh, athletes who swim. And so we'll do more specific training for those particular sports. But in general, we're talking about uh, average people who want to get fitter, stronger, feel better, look better. And, and I combine that training with massage. So I have clients who only come for massage. So I'm their massage therapist. And then most of my clients, my personal training clients, I do a 15 or 20 minute massage with them at the end of the session. So within the hour, we'll train for 40 minutes approximately. And well, they'll train 40 minutes and I'll instruct them. 
and then the last 20 minutes i'll get them in the massage room on the massage table and they'll get a, a back massage legs whatever they need uh, which also serves as a kind of a motivation and an incentive yeah yeah well the question i had you then was what, what's the advantage of having a personal trainer as opposed to going to the public gym and doing classes and whatnot and at least one answer i can give you myself which is that after i've been to the gym i don't get a massage and then the next day i'm kind of quite quite stiff afterwards so um what what what, what would you what would you say are the advantages of having a personal trainer as opposed to just going to the public gym well that that's a good question uh, what are the advantages of a personal trainer um, I mean, if if you're disciplined and focused and you know what you want and you know how to train, then you may not need a personal trainer, to be perfectly honest, you know, or at the same time, it 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 it, it lends focus and uh, a bit more intensity to what you do. Uh, people are often a little bit lazy, really, in terms of doing physical exercise. So knowing that each week they have to come here once or twice a week and they're paying for it per month and they have to be here and I'm expecting them, and I, you know, then that helps them to be a bit more disciplined and regular. Um, and also, most people will agree that if you have a personal trainer who's obviously a decent personal trainer, because in this business you do have kind of inexperienced people um, as well, so there's a bit of variety in terms of the standards. To be to be quite honest, it's not regulated as much as as the other sectors. Um, but certainly, people after 45 minutes of training with me, they're pretty exhausted. They've done a full body workout. They've avoided injury and exercises that may be uh, uh, in any way bad for them. Um, and they know that they've done more, much more in those 45 minutes than they would ever do on their own in a gym 93.9 dublin south fm i guess they're working as well towards specific objectives that they've told you what they are and you've maybe helped them to formulate their objectives so it's all going in the one direction right essentially yes uh, although a lot of people so it's interesting so when it comes to objectives and uh, expectations it, it, it's interesting how do you manage how do you manage objectives, set objectives, and manage expectations? This is this is kind of a big issue in this in in in, in my business because some people come with with a general a general objective of feeling you know feeling better, feeling stronger, getting into shape, looking a bit better. So you say, okay, let's let's work towards that. Lose a bit of weight, increase the muscle tone, feel stronger, look fitter. That's fine. And then other people will be very specific. I want to run a marathon, or I want to. Uh, you know, be able to play football better at the weekends. Um, but setting objectives, specific objectives in terms of size, weight, uh, a, a measurable objective to work towards, that's, that's tricky. You have to be careful with that because with, with the work I do, it depends as much on the client as it does on me, what the outcome is going to be. So I, you can have a great personal trainer, but you, if you don't respond to that, and if you're not disciplined and focused, if you don't push yourself in the gym when you're training, if you're not disciplined then with what you eat, if you're not following the instructions that the personal trainer is giving you, then you're not going to you're going you're not going to meet those objectives. So there's only so much that I can promise the client because it really depends on the client. A lot of it, you know. So yeah. I kind of shy away from setting really specific objectives with most clients, certainly in the beginning until I can see what they're like 
what their personality is like, because um, it's better to achieve if you if you say, OK, we're going to achieve a 10 and you only achieve an eight. It seems like it's maybe a disappointment and a failure. But if you say, let's look for a five or six and you reach an eight, that's an amazing accomplishment. So it, 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 it's tricky with that. But mm-hmm. I, I, I try and motivate and encourage people to to change habits more than specific concrete objectives and in and in general terms and around say physical health and fitness as busy people men and women as they kind of move through their 30s 40s and 50s what would be say the top two or three pieces of advice you'd give them to help them maintain their well-being and give themselves like the best opportunity for a good quality of life then in their later later years yeah um don't drink and smoke you know do, do not drink, do not smoke. I mean, don't drink, don't drink to excess. Don't smoke at all. Um, it, diet and nutrition is, is very important, really important. If you need to stay trim, you need to stay lean. If you put on weight, that's going to affect your overall longevity. That's going to affect your overall quality of life. Uh, food, eat what you eat is very important. You don't have to be obsessive about it. I mean, I'm not ultra strict about what I eat, but I do take care of my body weight and I make sure I'm getting all my nutrients each day. Um, and then regular exercise of, it doesn't have to be high intensity. It doesn't have to be every single day, but you need regular exercise two, three times a week. Even if it's like it's the World Health Organization, I think recommends two hours a week of moderate exercise, two or three hours a week. That's enough. You know, you don't have to be in the gym every day, two hours to get fit, to stay fit, but you need to be disciplined and regular at doing it. Um, and just start with walking, you know, a good brisk walk, half an hour, 45 minutes. That's a great exercise. You could do that pretty much any day of the year if you set your mind to it. Yeah. Uh, you can do exercise you can train at home. You can go to a gym. You can play tennis. You can, there's loads of things you can do, but you need to be consistent with it. Make this them, is, is some... make those behaviors habits, I guess, that if you, if you don't do them, almost your body misses it and kind of pulls you towards getting those things done. Yeah. That, well, that's exactly what happens. Yeah. So you reach a point where your body is kind of begging for that endorphin rush and that you know that 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 great feeling of having of having sweated and put in the effort and you know come out the other side feeling great yeah um that is it, it becomes it becomes part of your lifestyle and it no the problem for a lot of people with exercise average people who are not athletes is that exercise is an imposition it's something they have to force themselves to do because they know they're supposed to do it they know it's good for them they know they should be doing it but in actual fact they don't really enjoy physical exertion all that much. Maybe they haven't had great experiences with sports and activities and going to the gym. So it's not something that they really want to do very much. So this is, this is, a, this is a, one of the things that I try and do. Um, people constantly come to me saying, listen, I don't want to go to the gym. I don't like it, but I, need, I, I know I need to do something. Yeah. So what do you do with a person like that? You have to change the way they look at exercise and what they get out of it. And their attitude towards it, and so it, it's a kind of an educational thing as well, and and that's that gives me then great satisfaction when you when you realize this person actually comes back and they're dying to get into the gym here with me and do a workout, and they enjoy it and they feel better, they look better, having had a kind of a bad relationship up until then with sports and exercise, and uh, with your business being kind of 
close and intimate. You know, physically, you're you're in a, a small space with people one to one. How has COVID changed your business and the way you work and interact with clients? Well, um, to to be honest, not very much. Uh, I was really lucky insofar as because I work one to one with individual clients, I wasn't subject to as many restrictions as larger sports clubs and health clubs were during the, you know, the first two years of, of COVID. So I didn't have to change my business model at all. In actual fact, I could continue working one-to-one. I wore a face mask the whole time. Um, clients, most of my clients didn't wear face masks. They felt comfortable enough with me wearing one. Um, some would wear them, but, but you know, doing exercise with a face mask is kind of, it's uncomfortable. Um, so I, I was able to continue working pretty much as, as per normal. And uh, it, uh, to be honest, I actually benefited from, from COVID, which I don't like to say very often or very loud. But um, because there were so many restrictions in larger health centers, a lot of more people came to places like mine because they, were, they felt safer. They, they weren't surrounded by, you know, grunting, heavily breathing people. And, 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 and it was just me. It's the secure environment in terms of COVID, or as, as secure as you possibly can be with, with one other person. So business actually really took off. I mean, it really blew because I opened just before COVID. And then we went into lockdown. And then when I came, when we came out of lockdown, which was uh May, May of 2020, um business took off you know people were coming out of the lockdown period they wanted to get fit again they put on weight they were out of shape their backs hurt them their necks hurt them you know so it was actually good for me i was lucky i was i was lucky i have to say and as you work with a, a broad section of of people you get a kind of a privileged look of a look at what what people are thinking about because i guess they they chat to you and they tell you what's on their mind and so on so what what are you picking up at, at this time because we're in a kind of a difficult or a strange period where there are lots of things kicking off around the world whether you know inflation or rising interest rates or wars and so on so what kind of things are you picking up from from people what's what's concerning them what are they worrying about as they look to the future um gosh what are the things that people are concerned about certainly the uh, cost of living that's a that's a recurring theme. Increases in the cost of living. People are concerned about that. Um, people are very concerned about where the war in Ukraine could lead to and what it could lead to. Um, and then uh, there's there's the local politics as well of each particular place here. Um, you'd have the whole independence issue has died down but that's still there the separate catalan separatism issue is still there that's still quite prevalent in, in politics um so some people like that and some people don't like that that's that's an issue um i mean i i the the, the business people that i work with i have executives and business people um a lot of challenges for them in terms of disruption to their business Things like supply chains, you know, so kind of stuff that you usually deal with, mm-hmm. that's affecting a lot of a lot of clients who who are in business. Um, I've uh, the other day I was talking to a client of mine who's a a real estate developer, works for a real estate manages a real estate development company, and she was saying that the it's not just labor labor is hard to find skilled labor, uh, raw materials have gone up, uh, fuel has gone up. So a lot of a lot of serious problems 
for for them in 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 in, in building. So everyone has their different. I wouldn't say people are excessively negative. I don't know what things are like in Ireland at the moment. Really, uh, I, I get back occasionally, but people are. I think we we came through COVID fairly well in Spain, and and personally, I think the government handled it quite well. Uh, there were mistakes were made and all that, but we came out of it quite well. But now this kind of recession that's kicking in now and the and the cost of living, this is this is a problem, and this seems to be people worry about that. Yeah. So uh, outside of work, then, what kind of things do you like to do in your your spare time? Uh, tomorrow's bank holiday here in in, in Spain. Oh, you have, so you have a double will... bank holiday this week, I think, isn't that right? There's a double bank holiday, yes, Tuesday and Thursday. Yeah, one of the amazing Spanish things, uh, the double bank holiday the same week. I'll be work. I'll be off tomorrow, but I'll be working on Thursday. Uh, so tomorrow I'll go out cycling with my cycling club. I'm a member of uh, Club Ciclista Gracia, which is the oldest cycling club in, in Barcelona. So we'll go out cycling tomorrow, do about 120, 130 kilometers tomorrow. Um, at the weekend, I'll be cross-country skiing. Um, so it'll be my first weekend up in the Pyrenees for the cross-country ski season. And pretty much every weekend now until uh, late February, early March, I'll be up skiing um, at the weekend. Excellent. Um, are, you, are you reading anything or listening to anything currently that you find uh, inspirational that you'd recommend to listeners, you know, podcasts, audiobooks, stuff like that? Yeah, I read. Um, so I, I listen to a number of podcasts through the Guardian newspaper. I'm, I'm a Guardian reader, and um, there's a there's a, a kind of all the podcasts through the Guardian: tech, science, current affairs. Um, I would I would listen to them. I haven't been listening to one. One I often listen to is the Guardian Football Weekly, but I'm kind of sidestepping. I'm sidestepping the, this World Cup, so I've stopped listening to that for the time being. I'll get back to it when the World Cup is over. Yeah, it's yeah. unfortunately I'm not at this World Cup. It's just it's not. I'm not getting into it at all. It's a little bit. It's a little bit tainted, is it? Yeah, it's just I really don't feel like getting enthusiastic about this World Cup at all, which is unfortunate because I always get really worked up about World Cups. Yeah. Um, so I'd, I'd listen to podcast podcasts on the, the through the Guardian. Um, and recently, what have I been reading? Quite a bit of nonfiction, actually. Um, I read an excellent book, uh, just finished it, called The Story of Russia. So it's a, a single volume history of Russia from the early times, from about the ninth century up until the present day, including the invasion of, of Ukraine, um, written by an English historian called Orlando Figues. I think that's the correct pronunciation. That's and probably, it's, probably F-I-G-E-S, is it? F-I-G-E-S, is yeah. it figures? No. And it's superb. Um, I, I just thought that I, I wanted to try and get a better understanding of what is it that goes on inside Vladimir Putin's mind and what is it that this um, Russian patriotism, imperialism, uh, what, what's it all about? So uh, I, I, I bought this book and I read it. It was really superb because he mm. gives a very clear... Uh, history of right right up until now with a kind of an emphasis on understanding the present by looking through the past of the whole of Russia's history. That's a superb book. I would yeah, recommend sounds that. interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely check that out. So where, where can people find out more, more about you and, and your work and your business and how can they contact you? Yeah, so my business is Equilibrium Fitness and Massage in Barcelona. So the website is equilibrium94.com. 
Uh, if you look Equilibrium Fitness and Massage Barcelona, it'll it'll turn up. You'll find me straight off. And uh, I'm at Neil Shanahan, uh, Neil Shanahan at gmail.com. If anyone That's Neil, N-E-A-L as, yeah, N-E-A-L, exactly. just, yeah. N-E-A-L, Neil at gmail.com. Well, excellent, excellent, Neil. Thank you, thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Wish you the very, very best for the future, both professionally and personally. Lovely. Thank you very much, Patrick. Lovely talking to you. And uh, happy Christmas and uh, happy New Year, also. Down to you. So, uh, thanks again to our listeners for tuning in. And until next time, keep well and stay safe.